And welcome to everybody else who joined us today. Again, as we always say, we know there's plenty of great churches here in Las Vegas. We thank you that you decided to join uh, us today. For those of you who have been praying for cooler weather, I think you got it. <laughs> I woke up this morning, it was like 43, 44 degrees up where I live. So we kind of live kind of near the mountains. And, uh, and I came outside and we have to load equipment. You know, for those of you who have been walking with us, you know that we are a setup every Sunday and break down when we're done. And so when you wake up early, it is cold, cold where we are. We're up in the Sky Point um, area of Vegas in the northwest. Uh, but we, we love it up there. It's a little bit far, but it's also a little bit cooler. So if you were cold this morning, we were freezing. All right. But, uh, but how many love the cooler weather? All right. How many can not wait till summer? Okay, yeah, there's a few of you, there's a few of you, but that's all right. You know, um, I don't know if you've uh, seen this professor, science professor, who's been going viral for her science experiments. Have you guys seen that by chance? She's making science fun. The kids love her. She's doing these, you know, real life experiments that are, I mean, very impactful. Uh, and so they're loving her. But I want to talk to you a little bit about the science of sound. It's very interesting. I'm not a professional. Um, but I can act like one, all right? So the way we hear sound is by our eardrums detecting vibrations caused by sound waves. And the intensity of those sound waves are known as decibels. How many know what I'm talking about? You've heard of decibels before. The higher the decibel, the more intense the sound wave, which means the louder the sound, right? So on one end of the spectrum is the loudest mammal on earth, which is the sperm whale. And they, to echolocate, they make these clicking noises. Although an accurate measurement has not been recorded, they say that those clicking sounds can be as loud as 230 decibels. Now, let me give you some reference. At 110 to 120 decibels is thunder. How many have ever been right beneath a thunderstorm? Right over your house and you hear the thunder clap. That's 110 to 120 decibels. We experience at that level a change in blood pressure when we hear things that loud. At 141 decibels, that's a jet engine. If you were to stand right beside a jet and it launched, that's how loud it would be. It would be two, um, uh, two, 195 decibels. And, and at, at that level, our eardrums can rupture. Okay, so now we're getting into the 200 range. At 202 decibels, sound waves can actually kill you. And that's how loud these uh, whales, the clicking can be, 230, way above what can kill us. And so then you got the other end of the spectrum. There's a whisper. How many have ever heard of a whisper before? How many can hear me now without the mic? All right. In the back, can you hear me? Can you still hear me in the back? You notice the front row can still hear me. If you're going to hear a whisper, how many know you've got to be close? There's a renowned uh, doctor. I'm going to try to pronounce this because I, 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 I practiced it like 20 times. His name is Alfred Tomates, not Tomates, not Camates. Okay, we're not talking about food for my Spanish-speaking and Filipino friends. Um, Tomates, he had a 50-year career as a Autolaryngologist. Okay, Dr. Johnny, if you're here, Dr. Brian, Nurse Rika, you guys can correct me later. 
Um, I, like I said, I practiced that about 20 times and I'm sure I still said it wrong. Uh, but let's just kind of break it down. He was an ENT, ear, nose, and throat doctor. And for 50 years, he had this renowned career. And uh, Dr. Tomatis at one point was confronted with a patient who had a problem that none of his fellow doctors could figure out. The patient was also a world-renowned opera singer named Enrico Caruso. By chance, anybody know who this guy is, Enrico Caruso? Me either. But he was world-renowned. Okay, he was well-known, I guess, back in that time. And so they say an opera singer, 100 decibels, and that's just uh, a meter away. And so this particular singer, and then they say that for the singer, for us, we hear that 100 decibels, but inside their own skull, for the one singing, it is even louder. And so um, Caruso, this obviously was not able to sing certain notes. And these notes were well within his vocal range. And all of a sudden, there were certain notes that he couldn't hit. All the other doctors thought it was a vocal problem. But Dr. Uh, Tomates, <laughs> such a funny name, he was convinced that it was a hearing problem. And so they get a sonography, the, the thing that measures sound, and they, they measure these frequencies, and there were certain frequencies and certain notes that he couldn't hit. What they discovered was remarkable. He was deafened by his own singing. And because of the power of his singing and his notes, certain frequencies he could not hear anymore. He was deafened by his own sound. And so, um, and they, they come to realize this, and then they, uh, it even became known as uh, Tomatis Syndrome or something like that. And so that, this is what he's known for. Um, did we show the pictures? You guys saw the pictures. Okay, now, uh, he came to this conclusion that you cannot reproduce a sound or a note that you cannot first hear. And in a lot of ways... As Christians, as followers of God, we can't be or act or reproduce after somebody that we are not hearing from. And so it doesn't matter if you're young or if you're old, if you're married or if you're single or if you're rich or you're poor, we all suffer from something called, uh, called hurry syndrome or hurry sickness. Now that's not a real medical condition. But really what that's saying is uh, that you suffer um, uh, extra urgency, especially in the area of busyness and lack of time. And how many have ever experienced that before? Because you realize we live in a noisy world. We live in a chaotic world. Things are happening all around us, and it affects us. And sometimes that chaos and that noise is enough to deafen us from the one that we need to hear the most. And so, you know, we all get busy. You know, if you're young or if you're old, if you're a student, you wake up early in the morning before the sun's up, right? You get up and you uh, make breakfast. Uh, or maybe your parents make breakfast. And then you have to get ready. And teenagers, I know how it is when y'all get ready. 
I mean, my own kids, I got two boys in my house. They're both in college. One is still a teenager. It's funny, I asked them last night, well, I asked uh, my youngest, I said, how many shampoo, skincare product bottles do you have in your bathroom? And you know what he said? Uh, just in the bathtub? Or I said, yeah, I said, yeah, let's just say the bathtub. And he goes, oh, maybe eight. And I said, lie. It's more than that and you know it. And he goes, okay, maybe 10 to 12. What he doesn't know is I went up and counted last night. 21 bottles. In the shower. That's not even on the sink. And it's no wonder they spend an hour and a half taking a shower. You know, the skin regimen and the hair product and all that kind of stuff. And so they're busy and then you get to school. And you have assignments and you have your teachers, and you study, and then, oh, you got your friends, right? After school, you have practice or rehearsal or whatever it is you do. Then you get home, and then you got to study some more. Oh, and you got to check your phone, just keeping it real, right? And, so, and you go through all this, and you're lucky to get to bed at maybe 10, 11, 12, maybe later, correct? Now, if you're a parent, I know you're busy also. Take your life. And then take everything I said about your children and put that on top of yours. And that's how busy you are. And so you wake up. You're the one making breakfast. You wake up your child three or four times. Hello. Amen. Parents, right? They don't wake up the first time. They don't wake up the second time. By the third time, now everybody's mad because you're running late. You get in the car. You're headed to school. Next thing you know, oh, mom, dad, I forgot something. Right? You got to turn around. Now you're late for work. After you drop off your child, you get to work and your day is just starting. How many know life can be chaotic? Life can be noisy. And then before you know it, it's lunch. You're trying to squeeze in a half lunch and then you get back to work. And just as you're about to get back into work, you're going, oh my gosh, it's time to pick up the kids. Right? Then you get home and same thing. You're making dinner. You didn't finish all the tasks. Your boss is on your back and on and on and on and on. It's noisy and it's chaotic. And so I say that to say all this. When it comes to all that music, all that music and all that sound science, what if I told you that the emotional problem that you're going through or the spiritual problem that you experience, maybe it's a hearing problem. And maybe we don't realize it. And so we're going to close our series today. Our series is called Airplane Mode, but the title of my message today is The Gift of Quiet in a Chaotic World. Now, this is not my typical message because if you know me, I am far from quiet. I love to be outgoing. I love to talk to people. I love, I love music. I love, I love all of that. And so I'm preaching to myself. But you'll find out later on in the message why I've come to appreciate what I'm about to tell you today. The gift of quiet in a chaotic world. The purpose of the last several weeks is about taking time out from all the distractions of our lives, focusing on Jesus and the practices that guided his life. Why? Because the practices that Jesus modeled led to better emotional and spiritual health and vitality. 
You don't want to just survive. You want to thrive. So we're talking about spiritual vitality. And today I want to focus on one of Jesus' key practices that he lived by. And I promise you, if you'll emulate Jesus in this practice, it'll help you quiet your mind. It'll help you calm your heart and your soul. It'll help you be more balanced as a person, more balanced emotionally, more balanced spiritually, and it'll help you navigate your heart and your mind and this thing that we call life. You'll navigate more effectively. I'm talking about the practice of silence and solitude. Silence and solitude. Everybody, just for a moment, just be quiet. Shh. Actually, I don't know why I did that. Um, the book of Matthew is one of the four gospels in the New Testament that record the events of Jesus' life. And chapter three provides us with details about Jesus' baptism. Now, I know what you're thinking. What does Jesus' baptism have to do with silence and solitude? Don't worry. We're going to get to that. All right. So, um, matter of fact, let's just go to the verse. Uh, chapter 3, verse 17, this is the end of chapter 3, on his ministry yet. I mean, there are so many messages in this one verse. It says this, and behold, a literal voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. You notice Jesus didn't even do anything yet and God was already pleased with him and God was already proud of him. How many know that's the heart of a father? You know, my kids... They don't even have to do anything, and I love them. They can do something bad, something wrong, and guess what? I still love them, and I'm proud of them. And right out of the box, without Jesus doing anything, here's Jesus announcing to the world in an audible voice, this is my boy. And of course, that's pretty amazing, because I don't know if you've ever gotten baptized, but that didn't happen at my baptism. I appreciate the people who came and supported me, but God didn't say, this is my son who I will. Please, it didn't happen. But the four gospels in the New Testament that record the events of Jesus' life provides us some more details. Um, it goes beyond, for Jesus, I'm sure it went beyond a spiritual high. The audible voice of God was just uh, heard, and in its moment, it serves now as the catalyst for the rest of Jesus' ministry. And let me just encourage you real quick before we get more into the message. And that's that no matter where you are or how you're doing or how you think you're doing, remember this, God already loves you. And he is already pleased with you. He's not here to condemn you. And I hope that encourages you to keep going. And so right after that verse, when you turn to chapter 4, it goes from 317 to verse 4, chapter 1. This very next thing that we read, it says this. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness. Say wilderness. I want you to remember this word. We're going to start to hone in and zone in on this word, wilderness. Now remember, uh, okay, I want you to circle that. We're going to get a little bit deeper into wilderness. But it says, the Spirit led him into the wilderness, which already sounds weird. Why would that happen? He led him into the wilderness to be tempted. And to be tempted by the enemy, to be tempted by the devil. 
What is the very first thing Jesus does after he's baptized? He goes into this wilderness. And as far as we can tell, he went by himself, the Bible says. Now your version might, uh, whatever version of the Bible you're reading might say desert, right? But if you look at the Greek word, and I want you to memorize this word, I want you to say this word to each other because this is how important it is. The Greek word for uh, being translated as wilderness and desert is eremos. Say eremos. Say it again. Say eremos. Wilderness is eremos. Okay, because you guys hear me because you're close. You're on the front row. Right? Say eremos. You in the back, look at somebody and punch them. Say eremos. Okay, remember that word. Remember that word. I want you to get to know that word. Eremos doesn't necessarily mean sand or heat. Eremos describes a deserted place, a desolate place, a solitary place, a lonely place, but it also means a quiet place. And that's where we're going to zoom in on this wilderness as a quiet place. And the quiet place is the place where, according to Jesus' experience, where he meets God. So if you read the Gospels, or the first four books of the New Testament, you'll see the story after story of Jesus retreating to the Eremos, to his quiet place. And if you're like me, when I read that, that verse, that Jesus was led into the desert to be tempted, my mind automatically goes into, oh, that's a weak place because that's a place of temptation. That's a place where it's, where it's hard. That's a place of struggle. And I want to challenge our thinking today because what if, because it says the devil went to go tempt him. What if the devil was wrong about the wilderness? What if you and I were wrong about the wilderness and it's not a place of weakness? But I'm here to tell you today that it's a place of strength. And that's why Jesus went so much. The wilderness is not a place of weakness. It's actually a place of strength. Say strength. Say it loud. Strength. Say it like you're awake. Say strength. There you go. Thank you. Thank you. What if Jesus went into the wilderness because it was there in the silence and solitude that Jesus was at the height of his spiritual might. After 40 days of prayer and fasting, he had both the physical and spiritual capacity to easily defeat the enemy or Satan or the tempter, whatever you want to call him. Jesus picked him up, smacked him around and put him back down and after 40 days walked out the wilderness. Ah, stretching and feeling good. To me, it's no wonder Jesus kept returning to the Eremos, the quiet place the place of not weakness, but a place of power. And it was a pattern. This pattern tells us that times of busyness requires more quiet time with God, not less. Times of chaos requires more quietness, more solitude with God, and not less. If you consider our lives, as things get busy, and you know, it's funny because if your kids are like mine, um, one just graduated high school, my last one just graduated high school, but this is how some of our days would go. We would get home after a busy day, and then 
my, uh, we're getting ready for bed, we're cleaning up the kitchen, and then one of my sons will say, oh, by the way, um, I have to bring a dish for my class party. You guys already know, parents, you know where I'm going. And we're going, oh, okay. When is this party? <laughs> Tomorrow. Oh, and by the way, it can't be bought, because you parents, you were thinking, I'll go buy some cookies. It has to be made, cooked. It's for home economics or something like that. And we're going, what? In an instant, our life can get busy and chaotic. And when it does, when we're packing things in and we're reaching for more time, what is usually the first thing to go? Our prayer time and our devotion time. The alarm clock goes off. You check your phone, again, keeping it real. Snooze. <laughs> right? Where you normally would try to sit and pray, it doesn't happen. Where you normally sit and try to read your Bible, it doesn't happen because you've got too much stuff to do today. But those times require more quiet time with God. It talks about in, in Mark... Jesus getting up early. He's teaching in the synagogues. Now, I want you to see this sequence of events. Okay? Um, he wakes up early. He's teaching in the synagogues. He's teaching at Capernaum. This is the day after he got baptized. Okay, he got baptized. God spoke. He went into the wilderness. After 40 days, he comes out of the wilderness. God is calling. He's saying, hey, spend time with me. I'm waiting. Gets baptized. Jesus, uh, God speaks. He goes into the wilderness. He gets tempted. He defeats the devil. He comes out. And this is the next day right after that. Uh, he goes to Capernaum. He's in the synagogues. He's teaching. He heals Peter's mother, uh, mother-in-law. Uh, and then after lunch, he continues to heal other people. He continues to deliver people from being demonized. And then into the, that goes well into the evening. Now, I'm sure like any human being, by that time, and remember, there were no cars back then. You walked everywhere. If it were me, I would have been tired. Anybody else? How many are tired just thinking about that? Some of y'all are tired right now. You're like, man, as soon as you say in Jesus' name, amen, I got to run out and run a bunch of errands before tomorrow. Mark 135, let me reference this. It says, rising very early in the morning while it was still dark. He departed and he went out to a desolate place and there he prayed. After a long day, he wakes up early in the morning to go spend time with God. Now, if it were you and me, let's be honest. After a hard day's work like that, well into the evening, how many would have slept in? How many would have justified, uh, you know, hanging out that day, opening a bag, a bag of chips and, and, and watching Netflix? binging on some TV show. That would normally be us. Jesus made it a point to find time to be with God. He wasn't like us. Now, all of that order of events, Jesus was busy, but Jesus was never hurried. He knew when to find that time 
And it wasn't just a one-time thing or even an occasional thing. For Jesus, this became a rhythm. And this is what I want to encourage you to do today, is to make it a rhythm. Now, let me qualify something, because in our minds, as super spiritual Christians, we think that every morning we need to wake up and we need to set aside at least an hour to pray and to read our Bible. And you know what? This is not the pattern I see Jesus do. It says a couple of times that he withdrew in the morning. But it also says in the evening or after he encountered crowds. And how many know that the crowds wanted a piece of Jesus? Because as he started getting popular, people wanted to see this Jesus. They knew he performed miracles. And they were like, I want to see. Matter of fact, do something with me. I need healing. And these crowds would press into him. And where the disciples would get tired and say, Jesus, send them away. Jesus would say, no, no, no. We're going to stay. Matter of fact, not only are we going to stay, I want you to feed them. And how many know that's a lot of pressure? It's a lot of pressure. But Jesus, after being pursued, after being confronted, he would front, confront the religious people. And after people would press in, he would leave one place. And guess what? The place he went, there were people waiting to see this Jesus. Not only that, the place he just left, they're following him. But after every situation, he would make it a point to sneak away. And he would prioritize a moment of silence and solitude with God. And if you notice the pattern, the busier he got, the more he prioritized and made time for this moment of silence and solitude. As his ministry increased, his quiet time, his eremos also increased. And why do you think that is? It's because Jesus as a rabbi, he had now, there's a real spiritual word that we call disciples. And now all it means is a follower of God. You know, we don't just want to be Christians here. A lot of people, it's easy to say, yeah, I'm Christian. I think the more accurate word is, are you a follower? In my opinion, and even more accurate, and maybe more challenging in a good way, I think the word that we could use is apprentice. Jesus had apprentices. And what does an apprentice do? He learns from the teacher. Not only does he learn from the teacher, he does exactly what the teacher is also doing. And so that should challenge you. Because if we are apprentices and Jesus is doing something, then as apprentices, what should we be doing? The same thing he did. And so Jesus is modeling this discipline of silence and solitude. And then all of his apprentices, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Peter, Philip, all of those guys, here's what Jesus tells them. In Mark 8.31, Mark 8.31, just imagine, these guys are absolutely tired. Here's what it says. Oh, I'm sorry, Mark 6.31. He said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate, eremos place and rest a while. He was teaching him the importance of pumping the brakes, of slowing it down, 
of taking a moment to recognize what is the most important. And I don't know if you've ever experienced this. Times of being in the wilderness. And it's just like the devil to try to catch you at the end of a hard day. It's just like him to catch you at the end of a bad week. Maybe you had a falling out with somebody, a coworker or a friend, you know, maybe a boss or maybe a family member even. And there's the devil right there ready to exploit it. That's the time to go, time out. Sneak away. Get in the face of God. And then fall on your face before him. And recharge. And come back. And then face that thing, whatever it is, with the strength that God gives you. There's something about being in the quiet place that helps you. And there is, for me, the classic example. Now, um, there were two times in my life, twice, where I really was, I mean, shipwrecked. Like, I mean, there was no answer. There was nothing you could do to help me. And I was a Christian. The first one was about the year 2001. I was leading a mission trip of all things, doing God's work. How many know I was tired? In the middle of doing God's work, my older brother takes his own life. My wife doesn't tell me on purpose because she knows that I'm leading this group of people with, you know, on an outreach to help plant another church. I get back to Guam. And my wife says, you need to sit down. And I said, this is bad. I know it. I can tell. And she delivers the news and immediately I hit the floor. Question marks, anger, frustration, uh, just wondering what, what's happened. How could that happen? You know, when something like that happens, it's, it's open-ended. There is no finality. And now I'm looking at God going, how can this happen? God, I was doing what you called me to do. And this happens? And so all of my mentors, they said, we have no words for you. We can't explain this. We can't even comfort you. All we can tell you, this is the time to draw as close to God as you can. And I didn't understand it, but I did it. The reason why is because I had nothing else. Not only was I having to deal with this myself, I'm kind of the spiritual leader of my family. And now my family's looking at me and I'm having to lead them through this crisis. But God got me through it. And I'm still doing what God has called me to do today. Because there's something about being in the quiet place. God helps you to equalize and, and adjust. The plane may feel like it's bouncing. You might think the plane is going down. But God's saying, no, 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 no. Look at the instruments. You're okay. Stay with me. You're okay. And I made it through. And I eventually pastored that church in Guam. Which is... Uh, one of the greatest things that I could have ever been a part of 
The church is doing well. They're making disciples. They're planting churches in other islands. Uh, and um, with their eyes on Asia. Matter of fact, just yesterday, because they're a day ahead, they celebrated 25 years as a church. That church that didn't exist when I went and led the outreach and found out about my brother. That church is 25 years old now. I know I'm dating myself. Okay, don't focus on that. The other time, 2014, uh, 2015, we just arrived in here in Las Vegas. We're staying at my in-law's house. Uh, about three months after arriving, my mom passes away suddenly. So, of course, that's a, a situation in itself. I get on an airplane. As I'm on the airplane traveling to Tokyo, my youngest son, Zion, gets sick. He's in the ICU for 11 days. And I find out, um, long story short, he's doing well, he's doing great, but apart from a miracle from God, for the rest of his life, he's going to be injecting himself with insulin every time he eats. He was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. Within a 24-hour period, my mom passes away. I am out of town, out of the country. My son is in ICU, and I'm thinking, what am I supposed to do? Do I bury my mom, or do I go be with my son who needs me? And I remember thinking, what, God, what do I do? Same thing, my mentor said, you draw near to God. You, you push everything away. You fight all the noise. You fight all the chaos. And you get on your knees. You find a quiet place. And you get before God Almighty. And because I did that, I was able to navigate through all of that noise and the situation and the hurt and the pain and the confusion and the disappointment. And the, I can go on and on and on and on. What I'm saying to you today is I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what your situation is. But I know somebody who can get you through it. What is the secret? What Jesus did. He went to a place of power. He went to a place of strength. And he emerged victorious because of it. And he modeled this for us and he wants us to do the same thing. Now here's the thing about, we're talking about silence and solitude. So when it comes to silence, there's two aspects, okay? I'm gonna try to go through this quick. There's external and internal silence. External silence is obvious. That's what we're probably most in control of. You can turn off your TV. You can put your phone on <clears throat> airplane mode. You can stop the social media if you want to. That's external. Internal is a little bit more difficult, and sometimes you're dealing with both. But internally, I believe it's when you can get your inner voice to stop talking. There's a uh, pastor, um, and he's also an author. His name is... Mark Homer, here's what he says. This is a quote. He says, internal noise is the run, running commentary in our heads on everything. The replaying of a lousy conversation with a friend 
over and over again. Our lustful thoughts for the attractive person down the street. Our fantasies, and not just sexual. But how many of you have revenge fantasies? Like, ooh, I can't believe he talked to me like that. I'm a, ooh, when I see him, mm, you, mm, you wait. Don't lie. Yep, we've, we've done it. And so he says, um, not just sexual fantasies, uh, but also uh, these uh, revenge fantasies. Imagine saying this or doing that to our enemies, our worries. All of these things that chip away at our peace with that hammer of what if. The obsessing over hypothetical scenarios. It was amazing in worship. This is what Leah, as she was leading us in worship, she talked about this in my message. The things that you can't be in control of. The things that are hypothetical. You have no control over it. And yet we obsess. And we worry. We get anxious. The obsessing over hypothetical scenarios. Role playing the future. Man, if I could just win that $2 billion lotto. That would solve everything. No, it wouldn't. I'll tell you a true story. No. Ask me about the true story because <laughs> I got to get you guys out of here in time. Uh, long story short, my dad um, almost would have, should have won the lotto, $18 million. I'll tell you the story some other time. Um, the obsessing over, I'm still on this, the obsessing over hypothetical scenarios, role-playing the future, catastrophizing, idealizing, dreaming of the perfect life, which is in turn intoxicates and poisons our actual lives. Internal noise can be pretty hard to turn off. However, the silence that you and I need is when we're actually able to turn off both the internal and the external. When it comes to solitude, it's pretty straightforward. It's turning those things off and being alone with God so that those things don't interfere with what he's trying to tell you. A life that is void of solitude and silence bears consequences. And maybe you can identify with some of these symptoms, okay? I'm not gonna ask for a raise of hands. Just grade yourself. But here are the symptoms when you lack silence and solitude and, and spending time with God. The symptoms are distance, feeling distant from God. Anybody ever felt distant from God? Ever felt distant from yourself? You feel anxious about the future. You feel physically and emotionally exhausted. You feel like you want to escape your reality in some way or maybe feel like uh, you're, you're living on the edge. In other words, you have a short fuse. And no matter what anybody does, even if they do it nicely, nicely you're mad. You know, and I don't know if you've ever experienced this where I'm just mad at stuff and somebody goes, rolling, what? And you snap. Symptom. Now I want to encourage you as we start to come to a close, how to create a rhythm of silence and solitude in your life. Practical steps that you can start to practice today. Number one, find your eremos. Find your quiet place and be vicious about it. There are times I tell my wife, I just have to leave the house. Give me 30 minutes. I'm just going to go down the street to the park. There's something for me about nature uh, that, I, that I just love. I mean, if I could be a, you know, a lumberjack and cut down trees and just live in the forest, as long as I have air con, I'd be okay. 
and maybe running water, okay? But there's something about, about nature that, that really ministers to me and music, by the way. Uh, point number two, take your time. Maybe it's not a full hour. Some things for me take only a few minutes. I get in the face of God, I feel his presence, and I'm like, yeah, that's, that's good. Thank you, Lord. That's what I needed. Thank you, God. Love you, man. See you back here soon. And then sometimes, I told you of some situations, that quiet place takes a long time. But I, you can't get past or through those things unless you make it a point to be with him and to spend time with him. Uh, number three, face the good, the bad, and the ugly that is found in your own heart. That's the hardest part. We see a lot of problems in the world. We start to grade people. And we start to give unwanted advice. They can't even hear us and we're yelling at a TV. You shouldn't have done that. You know you're wrong. <laughs> Symptom. Face the good, the bad, and the ugly that is found in your own heart. Something that should be taking place in our lives as Christians and in our hearts as Christians and in our minds as Christians is something called transformation. There's nothing else in this universe as powerful as God transforming a human life from something that was rotten to something that glorifies him. Point number four, embrace the silence. This is hard for me, but I've come to learn it and I've come to appreciate it because of the things that I've been through. And because I got in the face of God and because I found those times and I, and I allowed him to, to silence me and to silence my mind and to silence my heart, I can get up and talk to you about it. So many others, when you don't do this, we, we, there's an imprint, there's trauma. That's what trauma is. It's an imprint in your mind that doesn't go away. Some people experience PTSD or, or something that was so bad they just, they just can't get over that hurdle. Find your quiet place. Let God fix it because you can't. Embrace the silence. Allow God's presence and God's person to take center stage. Allow his voice to cut through all the other voices and noises. And the silence you'll begin to hear, you'll also hear his voice start to come through loud and clear. Now you're thinking, I'm crazy. You're crazy. God, God talks to you? Yes. He doesn't talk to you? Hmm. Find your quiet place. He'll remind you of your identity. He'll remind you of your calling. He'll remind you of your value. And then he'll help you to empty out all the toxic stuff. But he won't leave you that way. He'll replace it with good stuff with spiritual stuff. It's a direct deposit straight from his account to yours. And here's my last point. More important than talking to God is listening to him. More important to talk. That's why they say we have two ears and one mouth. Maybe we shouldn't talk so much. Find the silence. Embrace it. Cut everything else out and allow God to speak to you. It turns a monologue into a dialogue 
which is exactly what God the Father desires from you. It's called relationship. Any relationship is two-way, not just one. My challenge to you today, find your eremos. Say it again, say eremos. Learn to love that word, eremos. That's what I hope for you. That's what I challenge for you, that you would find it, that you would establish it, that you would protect it, but most of all, that you would enjoy it. Because it's, it's, I mean, if, if you could put anything in the area of magical, that's where God does his best work in the deepest, quietest times. Psalm 46.10 says this, be still and know that I am God. Bow your heads, we're gonna pray. As you bow your heads, I just wanna share a story out of the Bible, just real quick. There was a prophet named Elijah and he had just come off a victorious battle defeating um, hundreds of false prophets of Baal. And he defeated them and he saw God answer by fire. And then the pagan king and his wife found out about this and they put an APB out. They put, in, they put the news out that Elijah, we're gonna find you and the same thing that you did to these prophets, you killed them, we're gonna do the same thing to you. And all of a sudden he goes into this depression. He finds this cave He goes into the cave and he sulks and he isolates himself. And then something supernatural happens. There's a violent earthquake. God comes to meet him. There's this earthquake. There's this mighty wind. There's fire. All kinds of supernatural earthly stuff happens. But the Bible says something interesting. It says God wasn't in in the earthquake. He wasn't in the shaking of the earth. He wasn't in the, the mighty wind. It says he was in the whisper. God showed up and revealed himself to Elijah in a whisper. And it says he went out to the mouth of the cave and there he met God. And just like we talked about in the beginning, as I started talking, in order to hear God when he whispers, The only way to do it is to be close. The only way to do it is to shut everything else off. The only way to do it is to find your Eremos. If you're here today and maybe you've never been to a church like this, maybe you've never heard a message like this, maybe you've never heard music like this, and maybe you have, and maybe you are saying, I used to go to a church like this, and I used to hear messages like this, and I used to worship like this, but I'm not doing that right now. And I'm a little bit far from God. And if you were to die today, there's not a guarantee that you would make heaven your home. I want to get that right so that you know for sure. If you're here and you're not walking with God and you're not in a relationship with him, but you want to get it right, would you raise your hand? We're going to pray together with nobody looking around, just some of my leaders helping me. Anybody here? Okay. All right. I- I see that hand. Anybody else? Let's pray together uh, with our sister who raised her hand. Say, Jesus, thank you that you modeled what we're supposed to do. 
I want to admit that I've sinned against you, but I ask for your forgiveness. I believe that you died for me and that your blood can cleanse me. Come into my life. Come into my heart. And most of all, change me. Help me to follow you from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Can we give God a hand just for those who made a decision? Let me leave you with one more piece of advice. Cheryl, if you can put up that graph. I hope I did that right. I asked my son for help because I'm technologically challenged. Um, The one with isolation versus uh, solitude. Guys, I know there are times that we try to escape. I know there are times where we try to practice this, but we don't exactly do it right. Now, I want to explain something. There's two things. God wants us to find solitude. It's not the same as isolation. Solitude is positive. Isolation is negative. Solitude is engagement. There's purpose in finding solitude and being away. In isolation, it's escape. You're just trying to shut everything out. In solitude, there's safety. Hear me. In isolation, there's danger because you're left to yourself and anybody who tries to help you, you don't want it. In solitude, that's how we open ourselves up for help. In isolation, we shut down and put up barriers. Don't bother me. Don't touch me. Don't talk to me. In solitude, that's how we water and feed and nourish our soul and our spirit. In isolation, it creates a very terrible side effect. And it's a craving that's created when you don't care for your own soul. Again, it becomes a symptom. Are you guys seeing the difference here? When you're going through whatever you're going through, I encourage you, find solitude and allow God to work. By finding solitude, you're telling God, here I am. Do your best in me. Do your work in me. Help me. When we go to isolation, it's a dangerous place. It's a dangerous place, and that's where we don't want to be. Lord, bless your people. Lord, I thank you for emotional health and spiritual health. Lord, help us to find this rhythm and establish it. To find solitude and silence and strength and power when we spend time with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.